Uh, hi everyone, uh, welcome to episode 6 of Ouijacast. Uh, this week we've got a special guest again, uh, which is uh, Mr Freaky Clown, also known as FC. Um, do you want to give yourself a wee intro? Hello everyone, uh, my name is FC. Uh, I'm a ethical hacker and co-founder and co-CEO of Sygenta. Excellent. Uh, so one thing we haven't really mentioned before, and, and FC raised it before, before we, we kind of dove into this, is we haven't really done anything about cars, and I fucking love cars. So Me too. I, I heard you had a fast car once. Uh, uh, I've, I've had several. Um, I've been a bit of a petrol head since I was a kid. You know, my, my first ever career that I looked at doing was being a mechanic because um, I love cars so much. And so I've had a a vast selection of them over the years. It's probably my only vice because I don't drink or do any drugs or anything. It's just, it's always cars. Um, so yeah, I've I've had a litany of them and really enjoy them. What's what's been your most notable in in your car history then? Um, so I had a Westfield SEI for a while. That was mental. That was like a little go kart. <laughs> um, I had a Mark II Golf GTI. Uh, which I'd swapped the engine out of um, for a for a larger one. That you was got a TTN one. engine. In it. <laughs> no, no, no. This this was years ago. Um, it, it started out not a GTI. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, what else I had? Uh, I had a R thirty three Skyline for a while. Nice. Uh, which was nice. Um, what else? Uh, I had a Renault five GT Turbo back when I was really young, and just making some money. That was. That had a, this this huge turbo on it that was ridiculous. Like the the spool time on it was like counted in minutes. I swear. Wow. <laughs> but once it hit, oh my god, it just ripped. Tur- turbo like unreal. Yeah, yeah. This is in the days before like uh, uh, closed feedback loops and stuff. Um, so it was just immense. Um, and then probably the one you're thinking of is I had a 700 brake horsepower GTR recently. So. Just a Honestly, we were quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we got um, we managed to hit over two hundred mile an hour when we're driving back from Spain through France, which was quite an experience. Definitely an experience. Excellent. That sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, what, what? I wish you... I could chime in in this, but I don't drive. So, uh, but I do have a massive appreciation for cars. Uh, <laughs> but I'm the kind of guy that likes a Cybertruck. So you know. Oh wow. <laughs> Straight in with the controversial time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, someone's got to like it, hasn't they? It's, it's a good Luckily, GTA machine. It. Yes, it's good, good for mowing people down, I think. It's probably... <laughs> I actually watched somebody uh, that's modded that into um, Grand Theft Auto. Like, and, uh, yes, uh, they've given that. it crazy physics. <laughs> it just knocks cars out of the way, so he's just driving up the opposite side of the road. It's <laughs> just knocking everything out. It's great. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see see one in real life, I think, because I think they're probably somehow more ugly than they look on screen. Yeah. I love that. Like, what I want to see is them fit on UK roads. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting because I did yeah. not realise how big it is. But you've yeah, seen like Hummers and things. They're massive, and yeah. then you've got the F F one fifty, which is also huge. And like yeah. the the width of the width of the Cybertruck is like it's wider than an F one fifty, which is already enormous for a UK road. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know I've, I've seen a couple of Hummers in the UK and a, a couple of other things, like the the Dodge truck as well. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the Cybertruck. I don't think it's going to come to the UK, to be honest. 
they'll need to flatten it off anyway because you won't be able to you won't, you, first of all you're not allowed bull bars in the UK so therefore having spikes on the front of the car is probably a little bit frowned upon I'd, I think very true actually um, but I guess that you know, it's easy to ship you just flat pack it <laughs> <laughs> Ikea like maybe get involved with Tesla or something <laughs> <laughs> Ikea edition build it yourself hope for the best <laughs> what can go wrong <laughs> famous last words <laughs> But anyway, enough enough about car chat. We could chat about cars all day, and D- Dave loves cars, but yeah. doesn't drive. Um, I suppose well, we better before we move on. Then I'm I'm gonna because we've, this isn't gonna be a, a car chat podcast. Um, friend of mine, Chris Radcliffe on Twitter, he started a auto movie podcast where he talks about like cars in films. Oh yeah, so he did. So cool. Like when he when he told me it was starting, I literally phoned him up whilst I was driving obviously via via the car hands-free um and i was, i just spent like 20 minutes talking to him about all these cars that he should have in his podcast so if you haven't checked that out go and check it out because it is really cool definitely def- definitely there's also a few other um really decent car podcasts that are by people in like security i can't remember off the top of my head but they, they are I'll, I'll post them after after the show so have we ever it. posted anything in the show notes after saying that we were going to post? No, no, <laughs> we have. But I've not. <laughs> I think I think we linked once to like Moon on a Stick, and that was it. But, Did uh, we? Uh, we should have. Like, <laughs> go if, check if, out Moon on a Stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve and some guy called Tim's thing. Anyway, that, diving into actual industry, so like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Security and all that fun shit. <laughs> <laughs> how how long have you been in industry? Uh, I guess professionally, you can say I've I've worked in industry probably twenty five years, something like that. I was about eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, something like that. So far too long, if you're honest. If I'm honest. A wee while. So, like, what what's your kind of first memory of like breaking shit? Was it was it like computers? Or are we are we talking about when it was like rocks or like? How- <laughs> yeah, basically switches. Um, no, I remember like getting into computers back when. They didn't come with, like, really anything. You, you just got, like, a command prompt, and you had to write everything in by hand. I, I remember sitting at a... Um, it was an acorn, I think, um, that I had at one point, just sitting there with, like... We used to get, like, magazines, right? So you get stuff like Linux format now, but it's nothing like those. Um, we used to get, like, computing magazines that used to have computer programs written in them. So they'd right. print, like, you know, sort of 20, 30 pages of just computer code and oh if you want if, if you wanted to run that program or that game you had to sit and type it in there was no other way to get the code onto your computer other than type it all in so you'd spend hours and hours at the computer just typing in code and then if you're lucky you'd probably debug it like five or six times and then maybe tomorrow if you don't turn off your computer because you can save it um, <laughs> it would it would maybe run the game and you'd play it for maybe 20 minutes and get bored of it and then kill it all um but yeah i think that's that's really the first time i really got into sort of hacking as it were because of like you'd look at the code and you'd understand what it was doing and be like okay if i change these variables i get a bunch of lives yeah i get more lives or i get more gold in this like rpg or whatever it's um yeah it was all text-based stuff as well there's no graphics there it's all um a little bit roguelike uh, maybe actually less than that for uh, Zork. Like choose, choose your own adventure sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's all text-based. It's like you know, look around or look up or go west or go east or whatever. 
Um, so that was really like sort of my first foray into it. But that, we're talking like computers that were like uh, Sinclair ZX Spectrum, uh, Acorn, um, the Amstrad CPC uh, 64, which was uh, one of my favorite ones because it had like green buttons and stuff and a tape deck built in. And yes. then Commodore 64, obviously. Um, yeah. Uh, BBC Micro, which is the uh, one of the first computers I I sort of really got to play with at school, um, just before all the RM Nimbus uh, computers came out, uh, so I was a little bit gutted about that. Um, and then yeah, it it moved on from there to like Amigas and then Ataris and then proper PCs. So, so what what uh, made you finish? Sorry, how you go, Dave? Just well, thank um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was having this chat with somebody the other day, so. Being that you had to start off like learning kind of terminal-based kind of uh, ways of interacting with computers, mm-hmm. and being that kids these days might go through vast kind of uh, parts of their education maybe using an iPad where they will never see a command pro- uh, like command prompt or like mm-hmm. a- any kind of anything like that. Um, even when I was younger, I was messing a little bit about with like RegEdit on Microsoft Gaming Zone, trying to kind of break the online multiplayer and stuff like that. And that was probably my kind of intro to this stuff, which required kind of delving in a bit further, mm-hmm. you know, into the computer. But as I say, it seems maybe kids these days will have less of that um do you think you maybe have a slight advantage in people of your generation in the industry from having to grow up with you know not having google to answer your your kind of questions yeah, when something I, goes wrong That's I, I i really well there's a there's a good side and a bad side to it the, the good side is you had to learn absolutely everything about a computer before you got anywhere when when you got a, a computer which cost a fortune um you would get a massive book of like literally how that computer worked not like just like a a dummy's guide on how you know osx works or something it's it's literally a book of here are the components and here are how they work so that you had to know like literally everything about it otherwise it would just sit there as a brick um so yeah i think that low level understanding does help people like me and of my ilk um understand things at a more fundamental level but we don't have the advantage that that kids have now of being able to look up everything. Like if, you know, my friend Dave was here earlier, we were working on a project. We kept referencing Google because it is quicker than walking across the room and picking up a manual and reading through some, some hardware specs. Um, you know, it, it's, it gives you an immense amount of knowledge like that everyone in the world is putting into. You don't have to try and figure out stuff for yourself. So I think it's, it's probably nice, but I don't know. I don't know. Double edged sword, you know, almost. Yeah, it, it depends on who you are. Um, I think everyone should learn more about the terminal. Um, years ago, I, I helped write a book about the command line. I am possibly going to write a new one, I think, because I think it needs updating. Um, so yeah, if people are interested in me writing a, a intro to the command line, I will. You should yeah, totally write a good. book. Writing books okay. is excellent. Cool. Uh, yeah. I'm an ad- advocate for it. I mean, yeah, so... I've actually, actually one of one of our employees actually has your um, <laughs> book on her desk right now. Oh, excellent! You can see that it from make... here. That's that's scary, but also amazing. But... <laughs> well, she needed something as a mouse, perhaps. Ah, that's, that's good. <laughs> good enough. <laughs> I guess. I guess it's literally sitting there because she wanted to read it. So. Oh. 
that makes that makes at least one person that wants to read it. It's, <laughs> everyone everyone tells me how amazing my book is, but I've not read it myself. Like proofreading <laughs> wasn't wasn't a thing. So everyone's like, oh, you should just produce a book. So I'm like, oh fuck it, I'll produce a book. And then I didn't proofread it, and everyone's like, oh, you've got like a spell now here. I was like, crowdsource proofreading, best way to do it. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Like, maybe before putting it to print, perhaps. It's all good. They're limited editions that have the, the misspellings, like, you know, first edition Harry Potter books that have, like, oh, yeah. things spelt wrong? That'll be first edition Andy Gill books. Fucking millions. <laughs> Do you sell millions? No, I've, sell, I've, sell, I've sold, like, just over 10,000, which is a few. Yeah, it's pretty freaking impressive. Yeah. Um, so my, my wife's writing a book, actually. She, that's what she's at home doing right now. Is, oh, excellent. Uh, finishing up her book. What's her, what's her book themed around? Uh, it's it's kind of an introduction into infosec, so kind of like. Oh, she copied in... my book then, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's basically your book. No, no, it's it, it's completely different from yours. Yours is like getting into pen testing, whereas hers is more of like more about the industry and more about uh, you know sort of all of the different facets of it and how to get it in, into it and like the history of it and all sorts of like I've read some of the chapters and it's absolutely fascinating even to me in the industry so it's going to be it's going to be a great book I think oh nice um, yeah. fantastic like, what, how, um, if you both wrote books like uh, how, how long does it normally take as not an author like it's, it's it's difficult to even think about the process like in terms of months years like well, I've not written one really. Um, I helped out on a couple, uh, but I, I know I know Jess has been doing anything from like you know, a chapter a day to uh, a chapter in a week. So, but she's under a, a, a big pressure to get this out before Christmas. So, good luck to her. Yeah, I think she needs it. <laughs> I could use it right now, to be honest. Like as I say, whilst I've got an amazing job with amazing people. Um, uh, any kind of material that can kind of point me in the right direction, um, maybe prevent me from maybe making mistakes that you know people have made before, and just taking that kind of sage advice from people that have been there and done it, like is uh, continually useful. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. It, this this is probably weird for you uh, coming into this industry, but you know my biggest piece of advice for anyone getting into this is is don't don't chase the money it will only ever make you unhappy you can't you can't buy happy so i 100 percent agree with that it's i mean if, if you chase the money you're, you're chasing the not fun jobs you're chasing the if, if you yeah. chase the passion if you if you kind of lead with passion money will come but don't chase the big numbers Ch- chase what you enjoy that's exactly what steve was saying on our last chat as well just the the, the money will not bring your happiness and whilst yeah. there seems to be a lot of money in this industry like certainly following your passion um it's, it's definitely the, the best motivated motivating factor and people i guess will realize that as well very early on yeah i mean every time we do any outreach with kids almost the first question out of their mouth is how much do you get paid and it's like you're you're kind of coming at this the wrong way if you want a money oriented job go and be a footballer um you know <laughs> <laughs> it, this, is, this is a hard industry to be in, and it's it's easy to make money doing stuff that doesn't make you happy. On, just on that basis, cause I think it's quite a good. Uh, we've got a couple of pre-prepared questions. Um, Did you uh, like that segue? Yeah, So on that basis, you obviously do uh, you do a lot of outreach work, um, yeah. which uh, I've seen in a, a lot of what you post on Twitter. Like uh, I was watching some YouTube videos kind of earlier on today. Um, 
I was just wondering if you could give um, why is that work important and do you feel there's enough people doing it or do more people should maybe be reaching out a bit with people your experience um, and is it a nice gratifying experience for you? Right. Wow. That's a couple of questions in one there. Um, so yeah, we, we do a lot of outreach, um, especially as Sygenta. Um, you know, a hundred percent of our employees are dedicated to doing outreach. Um, you know, we, we reach, I think so far this year, we've, we've spoken face to face with about 6,000 kids. Um, you know, which considering there's only six of us is quite a, quite a substantial number. Um, yeah, we we do all sorts that we can. We work with the NCSC as part of their schools um, cyber hub. Um, we work with Teen Tech, um, which is run by Maggie Philbin, which most of the the audience probably don't even remember from from the eighties in a TV show called Tomorrow's World. Um, we do the Christmas cyber lectures, which I know Andy's helped out as well. We do um, Cheltenham Science Festival, which sees like thousands of kids come through. Um, in a week um, yeah so we're really passionate about it and the reason we're passionate about it is because of these we didn't have them we didn't have anyone doing outreach when I was a kid um, and it's really important to us that we teach kids that there's a really cool uh, sort of career out there that they may not even know about and something we we come across a lot is the schools don't even know that this is a job, let alone the kids. So, so we have to sort of step in and be like, that these are some really interesting things that you can be doing, especially to those kids that are potentially already on the, the border of breaking the law or already have broken the law, you know, and just haven't got caught yet. Um, one of the one of the driving moments for me was many, many years ago. It's probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, I went in to do a talk at a school and um, first group came in and I introduced what I did and they were all like, oh, you should speak to, let's call him Dave, right? Um, you should speak to Dave. Dave's a hacker. He's hacked like the school. I'm like, all right, that's interesting. Second group come in. They say the same thing. You should speak to Dave, this Dave kid. Um, so third group comes in and it's quite obvious to me, like just see him straight away. It's like, that's Dave. So I get permission to to have a chat with this kid one-on-one because you know obviously we have to worry about like sort of uh, uh clearances with with speaking with kids so i got permission to go and have a chat with this kid and it turned out that he'd been hacking some stuff he'd made a bit of money like selling uh some pirate software and stuff and he knew that he was going to go to prison right because he knew this was illegal and he was about to hit the age where that was going to become a big problem mm-hmm. um so he was just flying towards the inevitable and I, I was really honest with him, um, and we spoke a lot, probably about half an hour or so. Um, and he came out; he knew what he wanted to do as a career. We got him a a job over the summer with the company that I was with at the time, so he got to experience all of that stuff, and it completely changed his life from one that was going into prison to one that is now a well-paid career, and. For me, it doesn't matter how many of these events that I do, and I, I try and do as many as we can. Um, if I save one kid like that, then it's all been worthwhile. All of the hassle, all of the travel and the stress, it's worth it if I can save one kid like that. 
Yeah, damn right. Well, no, that's a really nice thing to to happen. And I suppose one thing is how many more people could be doing that exact same sort of thing. Like if you kind of catch them early in their formative years while they've got an interest, like and you know while it was strike while the iron's hot, but they've got to know about it, and that's kind of exactly what you're doing there. Letting them and letting them, you know, know, know what options could be available to people that are interested. Um, and I suppose one thing as well, if you're dealing a lot with children. Um, and kind of introducing them to things like security. You're kind of breeding breeding a culture for security. Me growing up, we'd never mentioned password security. Like, um, and I'm 29, uh, 29, 30, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's the I've never had to say that out loud. Um, yeah, and we, we never got taught about it at all. Um, and obviously it's now more important than ever, the more connected we are. So... Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad there's people out there doing that kind of work, and yeah, good for you. <laughs> so Thank you. Open, but Thank that's, you. That's what I'm yeah, I mean, we we're really lucky that we get to work with so many sort of other big collections of people, such as the NCSC. Um, you know, their schools hub thing is fantastic, and we, we've recently won a, a lovely award uh, from the NCSC. It's a nice big glass thing. Um, so yeah, it, it's nice to be recognised for doing it, but that's not the be all and end all of it. You know, we we see a lot of people that do outreach and then get frustrated because they're not getting the the recognition from their peers or they're not getting the the media attention they wanted to. And it's like that that's not what you should be doing it for. Well, I suppose it I suppose it falls back. I mean, you gave to me a really good book, the the Go Giver. Um, which I suppose mm. it falls back on that. Realistically, you you pay knowledge forward and you expect nothing in return, and that's what outreach is doing essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly you're, that. You're doing that. I think I passed that on to you, Dave. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, or if it's. I've been on slowly your... working my way through it. Yeah, uh, since yeah, it's, it's, you've it's gone. So that's been a few months. Is that the same copy that you're getting yeah, off FC? It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pay it forward. No, it, it, it's it's a great book, and I I I recommend everyone goes and reads the the Go Giver. Um, it's a fantastic book. It was, yeah, uh, I got introduced to it by um, Nikki Whiting of Titania, um, who's a massive advocate of that. So big shout out to Nikki for that, because that was awesome. But I, I love reading books. Reading books, I think, is the one thing people should do more of, um, and they don't because it's very easy not to. It's easy to sort of sit down and watch TV instead. But, you know, I'll, I'll consume books at a ridiculous rate if I can. Um, so I, I think... It's the long-form nature of them. And I think, again, the things like short 10-minute videos on YouTube, you know, character counts on Twitter. Like, yeah. I suppose we can all be very guilty of kind of getting... Like being lazy in the way that we take in even blog posts, you know, can sometimes only be a page. But, like, often there's very few topics that can be reduced down to something so simple like you'd be at infosec or anything else like and sometimes it requires you know, 300 pages odd to, yeah to yeah, but I, yeah I, I completely agree we should read more yeah I, I think it's it's how you consume stuff is really important you could get a a, a long form book and read it slowly that's great if you want to like lose yourself into some sci-fi fantasy book or something but if you're trying to learn stuff um, you know, th- there are some really easy things like you can learn to speed read. One of the things that I do um, for reading a book quickly is use a, a bookmark. If you use a bookmark and sort of just cover out the like block out the next line that you're going to read, your mm-hmm. brain can't try and p- 
pre-read it and so you sort of you you cut out a lot of thought process and you can go quite quickly down a page and also try and get rid of your inner voice that's that's reading to you try and just read the words and take it in so if you use those methods um you can you can consume a book within a day you know if you if you start listening to audiobooks put them on a faster speed same with youtube videos i i I don't think i ever watch a youtube video now at less than you know one and a half times speed Mm. or two and a half times speed rather um you know everything should be once you get used to it it becomes normal and listening to like a normal youtube video or something or a plural site video it's just mind-bogglingly boring so (laughs) using those sort of methods you know at best, in a, in a good week, I would say I consume maybe about fifteen books. Jeez! Um, wow! If, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> read fifteen books in the last month. Like. I think I don't think I've read read fifteen books in my lifetime, to be honest. <laughs> but in that that's a, a special case, like you know, when I'm on holiday and I'm just trying to consume stuff. But I'd say on general, it's about two or three books a week. Um. And, and just go to the library. Go and, go and join a library. It's free. You can just get out books and then take them back and then get get another set. You know, I spend a lot of time in the air flying and I spend a lot of time driving, so I listen to stuff. I spend a lot of time at my computer doing things where I can have a video playing. Um, you know, it's, it's about finding ways to consume more stuff and you don't even have to take it all in as long as you're getting like sort of 80% of it or even just go... Do you know what? I know I read that somewhere and it was possibly in this book and it just gets a little bit more... You build up your own sort of Google reference to, to things that way. Do you find you read more fiction or non-fiction? Like, do you try to detach from well, your career by reading books? Or no, like, it's, I, I tend to not read fiction books because you know, I, I do the odd one, um, but mostly it's all, all related somehow to work. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a book on economics or a book on computing or a book on, uh, you know, sort of people and biology. It's it, everything. Everything is somehow connected in my job because of its. It covers such a, a vast array. It's not my job. Isn't just tech. It's you know, it's the physical side as well. It's the social engineering. It's the um, you know, Jess brings in the human side with all the psychology. So trying to understand some of the stuff that she does is is quite important to me. Um, but almost everything you you read or reference will probably in some way help you next week it's incredible how many times this happens where i read something or i i listen to something uh, or I, I hear someone speak and then the next week i'm like ah oh, there was this thing that i could reference from someone last week um it happens a ridiculous amount of time and i'm sure there's a reason for it I suppose it's a good segue into like what what does what does your job entail? Like you, you talked briefly about social engineering and and physical sort of stuff, but what what do you what's what's a kind of day to day or a typical week look like for yourself? <laughs> so I'm really glad that no day is really the same as any other. You know, I I have two hats really. Um, one is I'm the co CEO of this company, and that comes with a lot of skills and things that i need to learn in order to run a company um which is very different to my my normal job which is you know being uh, the head of ethical hacking and the head of social engineering and physical stuff it's you know one day i could literally be breaking into a bank 
like physically breaking in and stealing stuff the next day i could be sorting out the bills for the company or <laughs> looking at the crm and why that isn't working right or the next day i could be creating something in uh, you know in azure um you know it's 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 all very different every day is a, a different day for me um, you know today we uh, dave and i were sorting out some hardware um so it's yeah it's it's very varied for me and i i love that because if i had to sit and do just one job every day i would i would go insane or more insane <laughs> every day is a wee bit different like um which yeah. i guess must be the case for a lot of people in security because you're always coming across stuff that you've not seen before but even more so if you're also yeah as you say running running your own business do you find they get in the way of each other sometimes and you're having to take a seat back at all from um, some of the more fun stuff you'd like to do or do you <laughs> yeah. a fun balance but... yeah no i i try and stick a, a a nice balance in there um you know it does help that jess is there to run the business as well and we have employees to help run the sort of different functions of the business um so yeah i'm i'm maybe not doing as much fun technical stuff as i want to be doing but there's a, a reason for it and that's that's for the betterment of the company and so i have to sort of make that business decision of like okay i need to go and do this because it's really important um rather than the really fun cool thing that i want to be doing um and that's that's quite hard but i actually i enjoy it because it gets me away from it a little bit gives you a lot of control over stuff that you can maybe do in the future that will be even fun, more fun. <laughs> like, you exactly, know, you, yeah. And, and, you, and you never know when, you know, it, I might have to drag myself into London for a, a, a meeting or something and then, you know, I'll, I'll resent that until I get there and then I find that <laughs> actually this this is really cool because we're working with this cool client and now we've got a bunch of other new projects out of it because I was there to able to, to sort of move that along. Whereas if it had just been a, a business person without that technical head, um, it may not have happened. Whereas, and also if it was just a techie going in, it probably wouldn't have happened. So, so having those two hats definitely makes me a little bit different uh, in some of these meetings. Really well-rounded by the sounds of it, like which is I, I what you've got to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you're yeah, if you're talking to technical people on the daily, but you're also talking to you know business leaders, like yeah, teachers, yeah. like you got you got to have that kind of ability to have those diverse conversations, like. Yeah. And I'd imagine that's unfortunately a skill set that, that some people maybe haven't managed to develop too much just from the previous work that they've done. Um, do you get nervous at all? Uh, is that something you have to contend with? Or are you quite confident? In, when you're so, a deal of it. yeah um so first of all i have the big shout out to my wife who who fills in a lot of the gaps where i have zero skills um so when we go into a meeting together she is way more advanced than me at dealing with everything um because i am still a techie at heart that that doesn't deal well with people um, you say your shit's I, I, broken essentially so yeah do i get nervous do i get nervous about what like business stuff or or talking um i guess yeah, cause, cause ta- I... talking publicly like um as uh, I, i'm not sure uh, how many people that are as experienced and i've done it for as long as you maybe still get nerves but uh, for example i'm going to be taking a couple of courses and running them next year for the first time okay. uh, i don't tend to get too nervous myself but you know, i guess when you're doing things like live demos like that would certainly kind of get my heart pumping <laughs> a wee bit when they don't work um yeah 
Yeah, for so, sure. I was actually watching in a bit of prep just before we kind of got started um, a video you were doing for Risks Minds International. I think it was like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a really interesting one. But uh, and you Because you were getting um, a volunteer on stage to actually type in commands to perform. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, um, uh, like a fish. Yes. Uh, attack. Um, yeah. So a, a question that I was going to ask later, but uh, we've segued quite nicely into this as well. Um, I, did you find is that is that technique you use a lot when you actually get them to, or people to actually people that wouldn't normally get to kind of conduct an attack like to yeah. actually do it themselves? And does that hit home a little bit harder than just explaining this is a phishing attack? Don't click links. Yeah. So oh, there's so many to unpack from that, right? So. First of all, do, do I get nervous? Let's go back to that one. Um, you know, I think one of them, if you look really hard on, on YouTube or something, you might find like a, a talk of mine from like 10 years ago. So I've been talking for a long time in public um, and I'm, I don't get nervous. Um, it's not something I'm, I'm, I really care about um, enough to get nervous about that. That sounds wrong. I, I do get, I do care about it. And there's, there's a, a, a difference to that. So I don't care what people think about me and I don't care if I'm, I mess up. Um, I'm not, I'm not sort of sitting there nervously going, Oh my God, I might say the wrong things or, or do the wrong things or the demo might screw up. What I only ever care about is does the client get what they've paid for? Yeah. Right. Because we, we get flown all around the world to massive audiences. Um, you know, and they're, they're paying us quite substantial amounts of money. Um, and when you when you sort of get up on stage, you give this talk and you you've kind of chatted with them about it and you've you've gone back and forth on it about what you're going to deliver, but they haven't seen it. They can't see it in the way that you are going to uh, present it. And so when you come off stage, no matter how fabulous the audience thinks it was, we always worry: is that what the client wanted? It, did did we deliver? And that's the only thing we ever really get nervous about. Um, you know, because it, it might not have been what they wanted. And that, that comes back to now the, the question about the, the, the demo part of it is doing live demos is the hardest thing to do on a stage, right? Especially live hacking demos because anything can go wrong, right? Literally anything. And I can guarantee you're going to like fluff up the typing or some network issues going to happen. You also have the issues of legalities, right? We get asked to do all sorts of demonstrations, and we have to sort of sit there and go, you can't do that. That's illegal, right? We can't just hack people from the audience, like even if you tell them, because we might accidentally target someone else. We, you know, it has to be a lot more controlled than that. And why we get someone from the audience to do a lot of the the hacking is for the simple reason of I'm trying to explain to people in the audience what's going on. And if there's one thing that I'm really bad at is typing and talking at the same time. And so if if I get up on stage, um, say, for example, this this one, the spear phishing demo, if I get up on stage, I announce to everyone I've been a hacker for my entire life. I, I do this as a living, this day to day thing. If I get up on stage and then hack something, they're like, oh, all right, great. OK, you hack something. It, it's like watching a Formula One driver drive Formula One cars. It's it's what they do right so if we get someone from the audience that has never done anything and we show them how easy it can be not like the day-to-day -day, this is actually really mind-bogglingly complicated 
But if we show them some simple things to do and we show them a script and we say, follow this, become a script kiddie for the day, then it has a massive impact, not on, only on that person, but also on the entire audience because they're like, holy shit, it's that easy? Like literally any anyone from this audience could do that sort of damage to any company if they just had the right you know, script to follow. Um, that's why we do it. But the, the, the biggest reason is because I'm, I'm busy talking about what's going on. Yeah, and you can concentrate on the actual chat itself, yeah. like, and get the message yeah. across. Like, and, and also, really, really and also if, it goes, if it goes wrong, then then you can blame them as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I noticed the spelling mistakes and missing spaces <laughs> with some, oh, of, some yeah. of the issues. Like, yeah, yeah I know, but that's just the thing. I suppose when you're doing those commands day to day, it all seems quite intuitive in its own way. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I'm not that long into using command line. Like, and there's sometimes I think Andy sent me a one liner that was just just cutting <laughs> stuff up. Yeah, it is absolutely it is. Until, you, until you understand it. Anything's witchcraft, isn't it? So. Not exactly that. Definitely. So we've got a couple of questions. Oh, we tried to get some questions from the public, uh, but um, we managed to get one. Um, so <laughs> I was just want to make sure we get that in by um, because that is a good question. Um, uh, how does a junior pen tester differ from senior and how exactly do you reach that stage? Okay, so my understanding of junior to senior is basically just experience, right? And whether or not the company would be willing to put you in front of a client, right? If if they don't think that you can hold your own. So if, if you get put onto site um, as a senior and something goes wrong, can you explain it in a clear and concise manner and explain what's going on and show them the logs that you've been doing so that you you can show that you weren't the one to break stuff because almost every pen tester will have this where they go on site and something breaks and you will get blamed instantly because you're a pen tester and you're there on the network. It doesn't matter if it's got nothing to do with you, yep. you will get blamed. And so you have to be able to show them everything and and be in a calm and collected manner and i think that's really what what makes the difference between a junior pen tester and a senior pen tester is like do we trust this person to to run this entire project um and not screw us over um I and that's that, a big part of that's the importance of reporting which is something certainly my uh my manager's kind of uh, kind of instilling in me on a kind of day-to-day basis we're using cherry tree on cali oh, yeah. which yeah, is cherry tree. Nice. A little program. It, it's lovely yeah, i love cherry tree um but yeah I, I think it's you know you get a lot of people that have some amazing skills right like i've seen hackers that are just phenomenal but would never be allowed to be alone with a client because <laughs> they just, they either don't have the social skills or they don't have uh, the the ability to constrain themselves to the job that they need to be doing. They get a little bit too like, oh my god, this is a cool thing that I've never seen before, and and just focus on that rather than be like, okay, we need to do this job, and we've only got X amount of days to do it. So I think that for, for me, that that's what the biggest difference is. I suppose that's the differentiating factor between a hacker and a pen tester slash security consultant. Because obviously, hackers are there to, well, we're all hackers and they we find yeah. find ways to, to do things that are meant to, not, not intended ways. <laughs> Whereas 
a security consultant, as you've said, as you've rightly said, is they're there to help the client. They're there to detail the issues that they've found in both yeah. layperson terms and technical terms. And you can get someone who's shit hot at hacking, but if they can't talk to a customer, they're not, never going to be, become a pen tester. It yeah. might be great at remote web apps, but if you can't call up the client and tell them that they've got SQL injection, their development database is fucked in a nice way. That, that yeah. there's there's no there's no benefit there. Yeah. I suppose also to add to the the kind of answer for your, your the, the question on Twitter was that someone added that um, if certs were everything, I, I'd say personally I don't think certs define you as a senior tester. I think it's more more down to experience. They certainly help, but I would say that if you went out out the out the out of the bat out of uni and went and got a bunch of industry certs and went to try and demand seventy grand or whatever for a company, they'd just laugh at you and send yeah. you on your way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, certs have a place, and the, that place is giving assurance to either the, the employee or to the client that you are able to reach a, a certain level of uh, ability, so that you're not going to miss the simple stuff, and you have that that um, experience enough to to look at certain things. What it doesn't give you is years of experience. Yeah, of figuring out what's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong, and a lot of people don't really consider that. They don't understand that stuff goes wrong a lot. You know, whether it's your fault or not, um, something will probably go wrong, and you have to understand what's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong. Um, you know, you can't just go and learn the tools and then run a couple of exams and then be a, a senior pen tester from that. It, it takes a lot of a lot of time and effort. And I, I think it's really important as well for, for listeners um, to, to understand that a CTF and a, a bug bounty is very different to being a pen tester as well. So like you can go off and you can make a million pounds bug bountying. But if you if you take some people that do bug bounties and put them into a real pen test situation, they'll just go after the RCE and that, that'll be it. They'll go for the big thing. They won't think, oh, actually, I, I need to... I need to men- mention that there's a robots.txt file, you know, which seems nothing, but it still needs to be highlighted because it is a, a, an issue. Um, you know, and same with CTFs. CTFs are always about getting onto a specific box and getting a flag. That's that's not real world either. Um, they're all great skills. They're all great ways of learning cool things to do, but it's that's not the be all and end all of, of your life. It's getting part root- of the puzzle. Work, yeah, exactly. Rather than the whole yeah, I mean, it, you know, as as a pen tester, I I love getting onto a network, you know, getting root on the domain admin box and just owning the world and you know, done in thirty minutes or whatever. But that doesn't mean the job's over, you know. That there's a ton of other stuff that you have to do. Um, so yeah, I, I think not relying on search CTFs and and bug bounties would be my biggest advice on that. So, so one of the questions I had for you, FC, was how did you actually get started in the industry? I've known you for so long, but I've never actually known how you got into the industry. Yeah, um, so how I started with this is really interesting. So when when I left school, um, I was obviously messing around with computers as a hobby, um, but I actually went and studied to be a mechanic because I really loved cars, as I mentioned already. Um, so whilst doing that i stumbled upon science it was part of like the course was some physics and i excelled at that and so i went off 
um, and to become a scientist, right? So I studied like physics and chemistry and biology. I had a side module of nuclear physics that uh, I, I did really well at. Um, and it was during that I obviously had to have a job when I was at, at college. Um, I got into sysadmin work for a, a company. And once I was there doing sysadmin stuff, obviously you have to do everything. And part of that was repelling people that were trying to break into it, you know. Um, so I ended up doing the security side of that. And then it just kind of shifted more and more into the point where I wasn't doing admin work. I was just doing full security stuff. And part of that was attacking our stuff as well as defending it. So that's really how I got into it. I kind of like just very easily shifted myself from what I was doing to, to where I am now. Yeah, that's one thing when we're talking to Neil, um, especially when I probably mentioned this on a number of podcasts at a stage, but um, I was the way that I was going to kind of get into it, other than I worked second line broadband at Vodafone, kind of customer service slash dealing with the open reach. But what I did do was give me a taste for uh, the kind of what the third line team were doing, like, and because I was having to communicate with them, like, so I was going to go down the CCNA route first, and that's also what um Neil kind of did as well to kind of begin with like so um would you what's your advice for somebody not already in the industry um that might want to take an easier route to kind of or you know, think in the long term of their career that eventually they maybe want to get into things like pen testing uh but maybe they're just leaving school what would be your career advice well I suppose that's the question what's your career, career advice for somebody that's maybe yeah. leaving school at the moment um so th this is really hard for me to like push because I didn't get into the industry in the same way that you would nowadays you know the, there's there's now university courses you can go and do on on ethical hacking and stuff so my advice I can't really say you have to do what I did because that's never going to work anymore um what I can say is you know go go and read my wife's book when it's published go and read Andy's book go and read our blog post you know that we've got some resources on how to get into the industry and there's loads of um sort of groups now that are helping people understand what this industry is and and where you can fit into it so you know the the ncse cyber school hubs teen tech um you know the Cybersecurity challenge the the cyber first uh, girls competition there's loads of stuff out there now for for people to kind of get a taste of what it might be before they sort of go off and try and decide what they're going to do as a career yeah yeah, no, absolutely. As you, I respect that you've kind of you, you have the force, but the ability to realise that maybe it isn't quite like it was when you started. Yeah. I've, I've talked to some people that seem to forget that, um, and that it's obviously a very much more competitive, uh, yeah. arguably industry now than maybe it was maybe back in the day. I'm not too sure. But, it's, but, I mean, um, it's not the so same as when, it's still not the same as when I started. Like when I started, I I put a tweet out and saying anyone fancy like hiring me as a, as a pen tester. And nowadays, you see people putting out tweets, and realistically, there's like a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand more more people that were like me eight years ago. Yep. So it's it's so much more difficult now than it was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, even yeah. thirty years ago. So it, it changes. Yeah, I mean, talk, talk about mentors as well. Is there? Do you have a couple of people that you kind of? I, I try, you know, I, I do try and mentor people, um, you know, I, I try as much as I can, I'm I'm incredibly busy, I'm not always around, I don't always respond to texts and whatsapps and, you know, signal messages, it's, so part of being a mentor is teaching your mentees 
that they have to push it. They have yep. to not just assume that you're going to meet up with them and you're going to give them everything. They have to come to you realizing that you you are a busy person, you're a professional, you have stuff to do. And as much as I would love to sit with my mentees like 24-7 and just teach them everything I can in like two weeks, I can't. And so they have to come prepared with questions and be like, right, how do I do this? What do I do this? Rather than a bit being a bit open-ended. And that that's where some mentor mentee things fall down because mentees just kind of go well they haven't taught me anything it's like well did you ask them anything and they're like well yeah but they're busy it's like well no you have to constantly harass them until until they they give you what you need um otherwise you're you're not gonna get any benefits from it yeah no of course that's really good advice because at the end of the day like like you say, you're you're a busy person. There's a lot on the go. Like probably not massive amounts left for yourself at the end of it. And um, when you do yeah. give your time, like it's important that. And for me as a mentee, I try to keep this in mind myself: is that you know your time is valuable. Eventually, my time, if my career goes the way I want it to, will also be that valuable. I'll hopefully be yeah. that busy. And when I do go to ask people questions, I do try to keep in mind that like, you know, like try like you say pre-preparing it in advance maybe before asking a question like and then taking the advice and running with it yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i think your career is already going that way to be honest i think you, you're making the correct steps to do positive things like look at look at why we started the podcast i mean yeah you, you actually asked before we start recording why we started the pod, podcast the original reason was to get dave a job dave went and got a job <laughs> after the first fucking episode so <laughs> i messed that up yeah, I didn't have too much to do with that myself. You think I'm very lucky. Try and get another job. <laughs> <laughs> Episode one hundred. <laughs> Let's get David another job. <laughs> nah, I can see myself being in this company for a long time. I'm very, very happy. Good. Really glad. But anything we can do to help you, uh, just just ping me a message. You know, um, I'm always on Twitter. Um, it's I've the best way. <laughs> It's amazing how how busy I am in the world, but I can always find time for a tweet yeah. or some, some terrible terrible thing that I'm seeing or some food that I'm eating. So I suppose we've got time for. There's, there's, I mean, we've got a lot. We've we've kind of danced about the agenda, which is fine. It's great. It's been good conversation for this. There's, there's yeah. a few points I still want to cover, though. So like, yeah, sure. Um, like, what have, what have you kind of what differences have you noticed in industry since you first started? And then also next to that, what's most exciting about infosec right now? Right, so things that I've seen change in the industry is there's an industry now. <laughs> um, yeah, back, back when I started, there wasn't. There was, yeah, local local meetup groups. I say local, but you had to travel like two hours to them. Um, you know, I, I started off going at like you know, London 2600. Uh, it was a fantastic group. I learned a lot from those, those guys. Some of them I'm still in touch with, and they still blow me away, you know. Um, so yeah, the the fact that a hobby that I had when I was a kid has turned into an industry has been one of the luckiest things in my life. Because if this wasn't a job, if this wasn't a thing, I don't know what the hell I'd do. Because I <laughs> have no other skills. <laughs> I mean, you've got social engineering that that works, I suppose. <laughs> true, true. I could have been a politician, I guess. <laughs> True. As, I suppose on on the topic of like social engineering and, and and making your hobby a job, have you got any like cool stories? Steve mentioned that you've got lots of cool stories. So, 
I've got so many stories. How long have we got? We've got as long as you want, real realistically, as long as you like. Okay. Um, oh Christ! How can, how can I even pick any of these? Um, so I remember the first time I robbed a bank. How about that? That's a cool one. Um, I was in the middle of London, and it was like two, three in the morning, and uh, I was looking at this massive bank. It was like not not your normal style bank. This is kind of like movie heist style bank where they have no cash they don't deal with the public they just deal with like mass amounts of money between other international banks but they've got a gold storage uh facility in it um so so i've got to break in steal a gold bar simple right so it's just like two three in the morning and i'm just completely overwhelmed with what i have to try and do and i'm looking at this like redstone building and i'm like shit how how am i going to break into this and I'm completely lost in thought when I hear like a cough behind me, um, you know, the sort of cough that sort of says, uh, I'm, I'm interrupting you. And the guy goes, uh, excuse me, mate, uh, what are you up to? And without looking around, I don't know why I didn't do this. I, I was still staring at the building. Um, I was like, I'm trying to work out how to break into this bank. And it just, <laughs> just, it just came out of my mouth, right? And I turn around like two seconds later. And it's just two policemen standing there. And I'm like, <laughs> great. Let me let me tell you about my job. <laughs> so, that, that was probably the first one. Um, what else? What else have I done? Um, I got asked to steal a holly- helicopter once. Um, so it was uh, from a hospital. So I broke into the hospital and I, I finally found how to get up onto the helipad. And I got up there. There was no helicopter. <laughs> really annoying. Right. Um, they hadn't assumed that I would get there. Um, so they hadn't told me that they hadn't actually got a helicopter yet. That it was like a brand new helipad and they hadn't got a helicopter. Um, so I was like, oh, great. But during that test, um, I, I, I was there for like a day or so. And during that test, I tripped over something um, in my hotel room the night before and I'd hurt my foot. And throughout that test, I've been running around. You always do a lot of running in social engineering tests. Um, <laughs> and my foot was getting worse and worse. So by the end of the day, I was having this wash-up call. And I was like, I'm really sorry. My foot is hurting. Can we can we have it like down the, down the bottom of this hill? Because I don't want to walk up the, the hill to the office. And the guy who worked at the hospital sort of saw him and was like, I think your foot might be broken. <laughs> so I had to go into A&E. Um, and get an x-ray and I, i'd broken my big toe and uh, so i'd done this whole social engineering test with a broken toe um but they actually thought it was part of the test so <laughs> they, they were really nervous about like dealing with me because they thought i was testing them still i'm like i am not going to literally break my toe to get into your company this is ridiculous that's a different <laughs> level of commitment <laughs> yeah, like, uh, can you fly yeah. helicopters uh, did you have an end plan for when you got to the roof, no, or, no. or was it just going to see best best effort? <laughs> it it was honestly this was this is one of those moments that was very similar to the Matrix, right? So I'm um, <laughs> I'm running up the stair stairwell to get to the helipad, and I'm I phone up my mate who's back at the office, and I'm like, dude, I need to know how to get into a uh, I, I can't remember what it, it wasn't a bell. I can't remember who made it now, but I was like, here's here's the here's the make of the helicopter that they they've told me they've got, so I need to know how to literally open it up and get in and i thought 
that sounded just like Trinity, you know, when she's like saying, I, <laughs> I need to know how to fly this helicopter. I but, know jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a, a, an interesting one as well. Yeah, for sure but i mean i suppose that's maybe taught you uh well i suppose getting in the door of the hospital is probably not normally the hard part but certainly yeah. breaking uh breaking a bone to get in is maybe not advised yeah yeah we, we uh, my, my wife and i did a uh a social engineering job on a hospital recently actually um that we work with really closely they're fabulous um but they they wanted a social engineering test and uh we went in and we completely got everything we wanted to and more and there's actually a photo that we we are allowed to share publicly of my wife and i in scrubs that we managed to get <laughs> <all stuck. laughs> yeah we were told we weren't allowed to do surgery but um yeah that that could have been more, way more interesting yeah oh, that's amazing right and um, i mean you've only told us like kind of two or three stories there but like i'm assuming they just could keep on going yeah yeah i mean i've been doing this for many years and i've probably forgotten more stories than i could ever ever regale i think um yeah. Yeah. So to, to define it then what's the scariest moment you've had in your career then oh, scariest all right so I, I got asked to do a um a, a job in europe I won't even tell you which country it was. Um, it was for a, a very large organization. Um, and I I like to have like at least a day recon before I do anything. Um, but I was stuck on another job and I couldn't get out there earlier than the day of the actual um, scheduled job. Um, but fortunately, I had a colleague who was out there at the time. And I said to him, look, dude, I know you don't do all of this social engineering stuff, but can you go and just check out this building tell me what it's like right i'll give you a couple of things so i need to know are there any security guards how many doors in and out of the place are there any security cameras that sort of thing right so just just keep an eye out for security stuff and tell me about it mm -hmm. so he sends uh, i think i got a phone call and he's like hey man i've checked it out it's basically you know there's loads of doors in um you can just walk in um if you wanted to all right cool like how about cctv is like i didn't see any i'm like okay what about guards and he's like yeah, there's a couple of people but that's about it so I'm like, all right fine so fly in and uh I, I get there actually i didn't fly in. i took the train it was before i flew um so i took the train got there um and i rock up in the morning to see one of the most secure buildings i have ever had to try and break into uh, afterwards, like so, afterwards, I, I had a wash-up call. They had three hundred CCTV cameras around this building. Um, they had one entrance in and out, um, plus a loading bay, um, which was guarded. Um, the guards were actually all physically police people, right? They weren't just like security people. They were there by the government. And it gives you an idea of the organisation. Um, all of the police um, patrols walked in pairs and had a rifle uh, like sort of handguns right um and i didn't speak the language of this country so i had to somehow work out how to break into this building that had all of the security and much more that i'm not going to go into um in the in the understanding that i could be shot at any point <laughs> uh, and the only way that i could really tell them who i was was to give them a letter written in english um that i don't know if you can if you can picture the scenario that that flashed in my head right so i've just broken in there's two policemen with guns drawn and the only thing i can do is reach to my pocket 
<laughs> I can guarantee mm. that was not going to go well. <laughs> nervous about that one, um, but still managed it. So that was nice. So that it, that came down to uh, one CCTV camera that they had was um, I noticed at a very particular moment of the day. Um, basically, just looked directly at the sun, so it just like whited out, so I could get past it on that. So. Uh, one of the videos I watched earlier on, uh, I think it was maybe the same, uh, the Risks Minds one that you were doing, um, it was the security camera, like, it uh, was facing, uh, there was a door below a security camera, but the security camera was facing a tree. And uh, yeah. yeah, that was, that yeah. was a high street bank in England, um, which yes. I, I love to talk about. It's freaking amazing CCTV is always done badly and so during my talks i always talk about how people can go away and look at cctv in like the real world and how it's how it's done and how it's positioned and that one just blew my mind this this high street bank um has uh has a little door underneath the camera um, which is where I got in. It's got like a little padlock, and I, obviously I do lock picking just like Steve does, because um, it's a great advantage in my job, um, and it's a great hobby. Um, and so I got in through that, but they've got a CCTV camera that's supposed to be looking at it, but it's not. It's it's looking out far away at this tree, um, and it's like, why do you even have it there? Yeah, it was yeah. it was ridiculous. What so, is it? Do you find these kind of? Um... I don't want to use the word failures because it almost sounds harsh, but I guess that's fundamentally what it is when you're talking about security. Like, um, and uh, what is it you think that, how, how is it these kind of issues, and it seems like it's just someone's not thought that through properly enough or maybe something's changed in the environment. Like, but how does it prevent these issues happening? What advice would there be for the person? Is it, is it a communication problem when you've got things like, installing a security camera and not having it in the best place for security. Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the, we, we see all sorts of crazy things happening, right? So what, one of the, the craziest things that I ever explained um, to, to people, um, which sounds so far-fetched that it never happens, right? But um, years and years ago, I came across this issue for the first time where uh, there was a security door. Um, they had... Um, they'd got me in to test this this building and internally there was a wing for the the sort of c-suite so all the big bods sat in this one wing and they had just re redecorated it all and put in like a really lovely plush carpet for them right like very different to the tiles that you get everywhere else um but the security door to that didn't quite shut because the carpet was so plush it kept catching on it so i explained it to them and the only way they could do it is rip out this carpet that was too plush i mean they could have maybe shaved the door of it but that was the their call to make um and you think well okay that's a one-off right but i probably see it like you know once or twice a year it's it's ridiculous like carpet just stopping a door from hitting um we had one one test where uh it was the door was to a lab environment and then so they keep a a pressurized environment in there and the pressure differential between the inside and the outside was such that it wouldn't allow the door to shut so <laughs> it, it's, it's like weird stuff like i you know my wife and i sat and looked at it for ages and we're like why is it not shutting because we hadn't thought about the air pressure difference and it's only in like a wash-up call like call me later 
uh, in the week that we sort of discussed it. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's probably the air pressure. And we're like, oh, of course it is. You know, nobody ever thinks about all these weird little environmental factors. And I think that comes down to the people installing things, that the physical device, like the, the builders themselves, are not security people. So you have a, a security consultant comes in and says you need this. You go to a security company and they go, okay, we'll provide you this this security implement. And then a builder puts it in. And so that, yeah, that's, exactly. that's where it kind of breaks down. You know, there, there's, uh, there's a great story I like to give about uh, a, a door where um, a company got me in to, to test one very specific door. Right? And this is, this is where I think there's a big difference between social engineering and physical assessments, which is what I focus on. Physical assessments are like uh, we come in and we walk around with you. It's kind of like white box assessment of your building and your site that highlights all of the security issues. Whereas the social engineering test is, can you get in? Can you achieve this one goal? And it doesn't matter how you do it. Um, in this in this case, they wanted a, a test of this one specific door, right? So I looked at it and it was a brand new door system. They paid 60 grand for it. It was almost impenetrable, right? And so I spent ages reconning it because i was like how the hell am i going to get even close to this door to hack it let alone you know because it, it was a massive massive like open space before it they had security near it so you couldn't go up and mess with it right um so i <laughs> one one night i got out of my hotel room again it's like two three four in the morning whatever um, I'm dressed in like dark blue clothes and I hop over a, a barbed wire fence, drive through or climb through some um, thorn bushes, get completely cut up. Um, so I'm like bleeding everywhere. It's starting to snow, right? Yeah, that, that sort of the snow that isn't quite real snow, it's kind of like slushy snow. And I'm sat in this muddy ditch, like halfway up my leg uh, in water. And it's snowing, I'm freezing, I'm watching this. Uh, security door through like night vision goggles right uh thankfully i've got balaclava on so i'm slightly warm um but i watch it for like three or four hours and then i go back to my hotel room get washed get sleeped uh rock up the next morning in a suit matching matching the uh the environment and i walk up to it and as i'm walking up to it i just sort of slightly pause my step whilst i'm checking my watch and uh i walk up to the door and it just opens and it just like it revolves around and i walk through smack on time right as if i'd had like a badge and just gone through and they're looking at me as like you know afterwards in the wash at me like how the, how the hell did you get through this door right it's it's impenetrable it's brand new it's you didn't even hack anything we didn't see you wave anything what was what was the trick to it and i said to them that the issue is when they installed it they left it in what's known as engineering mode and engineering mode for a revolving door is basically like um every 15 minutes just revolve once just to check everything's working and nothing's snagging, mm -hmm. which is what you do when you install as a builder a door. Um, but no one ever checked that. It was taken out of engineering mode. So all I had to do was sit and watch this, this revolving door from this ditch for a few hours to get the timing spot on and then walk and pace myself to that exact timing so that it would do this one revolution and let me in. So I think that, that for me, is the, the biggest show i can of like builders are not security build people and they never will be and so you have to have someone that's there to test it and make sure that whatever it is that they're implementing is is viable 
Yeah, and I think that there's a direct kind of analog to that, or opposite of an analog in security with buying security equipment. Like, and oh, like, yeah. if you buy it and it's misconfigured, like, it seems oh, like the exact God. same thing permeates yeah. between all levels of security. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I can't count how many how many firewalls and and, and devices that I, I've messed with that have have just been left in default states because someone somewhere sold that a piece of equipment to someone who didn't know what they're doing and they were like oh this is going to fix all of our problems put it in and nobody knows how to use it and nobody's bothered configuring it or the company selling it is like well we'll configure it for you for a, a, extortion a fee, fee. Yeah. um so yeah it, it's, it's exactly um you know the same thing it's like yeah you know, unless you know what you're doing with it you'll probably make stuff worse you see all the time. You see companies that spend millions of dollars, even even hundreds of thousands of pounds, on really shiny toys, and they just go, all right, okay, that's it in the environment, all good to yep. go. And then, sure enough, the pen tester comes along and fucks shit up and goes, well, this is why it's fucked <laughs> oh, yeah, up. default creds on. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. That is that's something even at my stage that I'll come across from uh, quite quite frequently, kind of misconfigurations and. Um, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think it's uh, people that are buying these things for a company need to maybe have the respect that it's not the unit itself that keeps you protected, it's the use of said unit, like, <laughs> and it's important to keep that in mind. Um, yeah. You've mentioned, um, I've always had this question, but I've never managed to ask anyone it, so you're saying that you, uh, in order to get into that building or at least be able to be in the area, you kind of match the attire of the, the people that were there, and obviously mm-hmm. that's a really important part. Um, how do you handle wardrobes? Do you just bring a fancy suit and then some smart casual? Do you buy a buy stuff for it, like in particular for that this, particular job? This is this is part of the reconnaissance phase, right? So, part of what you do is you look at the building, and you look at the people that are going in and out of it. You can make some decent assumptions from just who the client is, right? So, if if it's a high street bank, for example, you're probably going to wear a cheap suit. Right, because that's what high street bankers wear. If you're going into like a massive multinational international banking situation, it's going to be an expensive Italian suit, right? Um, you know, I've I've gone into places where you are not allowed on specific floors unless you are wearing a, a like a tie, right? And they'll they'll kick you out if you're not wearing a tie, or even give you a tie to wear, which is weird. Um, but you have to really match it the the environment, and part of that is really observing who is doing what um it can go wrong sometimes i i um had this one it was a headquarters of a bank actually um a lot of our clients are banks obviously <laughs> um we we observed it for ages um i got i got the suit that's kind of matched the style of what what everyone else was wearing um and i walked in and i, I sort of got into reception and everything felt a little bit odd Right? And you just got this gut feeling that something was wrong. And that moment for me was when I saw a guy walk in in a dinosaur onesie. And I was like, <laughs> uh, what the hell's going on? And it turned out it, they were having like this charity dress up day thing. And so I I would have, like, if I'd have continued with that test, I would have stuck out sort of like a sore thumb. So I was like, I am not wearing a dinosaur onesie. Uh, I'm going home. <laughs> so I just went back like the, the next week. So um, it can go wrong sometimes, but um, 
yeah, it it's always like good. It seems like the perfect to... excuse, though. Like maybe Halloween for doing a pen test. Like if you happen to find out the day or a physical pen test, like when you find out the day that they're going in, and you can actually wear a mask and maybe get away with it. Yeah, yeah, I'd never thought of that actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now everyone that to some some clients next Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those things where there's some there's some weird. Um, I don't want to say myths around it, but yeah, some people just assume that you, you put on a high vis jacket and you can walk in anywhere. Um, which is fine if you're going into those areas where someone would be wearing a high vis jacket, or, you know, um, but otherwise it's, it's not going to work. You have to match the environment or it's, you're going to really stick out. Well, you normally pretend, uh, as a rule of thumb, I'd imagine, like everything every case is going to be different but would you normally go in uh will you always go in pretending to be a member of the staff for that company or do you sometimes pretend to be maybe a third party contractor does it depend on the job it really depends on the job if you're if you're breaking into a place where there is a a, say a small it team of like five people in one room you are not going to get away with pretending to be part of the it team um, you know, you have to be third party on that. Um, so yeah, it really does depend on each and every client is different. But like I say, like you know, social engineering versus physical assessments are very different now. So I focus very much on the physical assessment side rather than the social engineering side anymore. And certainly, uh, so did learning to pick lock? Did that um, or lock pick? Sorry, uh, did that come from? Uh, necessity to do it for your job or was that just a happy hobby that you happen to do that you one day come across a padlock and go mm, shit I can break that that's a happy hobby that turned into a useful skill as with most of my skills in life <laughs> yeah, there's a, a strange hobbies that uh, help out are, are really handy yeah. Um, so yeah try, try and be as eclectic as you can with hobbies yeah diverse for sure yeah, fantastic um, so we're getting on to about an hour and 17 minutes or so. Um, Let's go for and two. I think we've covered like, oh. a really nice amount of stuff and it's been a <laughs> great chat. Um, Andy, have you got any kind of further questions that you'd like to give? Pass yeah, on to there, there's just there's just two two last bits. So the, the okay. second last bit is um, it's a new sort of thing we're trying. So um, we want to kind of each guest to set a question for the next guest and it'll be asked of every guest after that. Oh. So... Nice. What what question was it? Can be anything. It could be like, what do you want in your toast, or what's the yeah. meaning of life, or some other really random eclectic shit. Uh, it could okay. be. A... Okay. Do I have to answer this question as well? Um. I Say mean, no. No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, I've got two questions. First, oh, okay. um, what is your password? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. The the serious one is. What have you done in your career that you regret doing or not regret doing? Okay. So what, what is your, your what is your biggest what is your biggest regret basically? I like it. I like it. That's going to be a great one. Seems fair. And then yeah. I suppose that, well, do you want to answer that? Or do you, do you, should, we, should we leave that for the next guest? Uh, no, I'll answer it. My my biggest regret is not starting my company with my wife earlier than I did. Fair enough. And the, the other half of the question? Uh, what was the other? Oh, my password. Uh, yes. It's um, star, 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 star. 
<laughs> or Hunter 12 if you're listening in, in unencrypted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, it, it's honestly been, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on the podcast because, as I say, like when I started out, like your name, uh, uh, your partner in crime's name, uh, were two of the ones that pop up really, really early on, and I think obviously that's a big part to do with your outreach, and therefore you got quite a big social media kind of presence, um, and. Uh, it's, that's why it's been really interesting to kind of chat but I, I've just actually thought of a question there that I'd really actually like to ask uh, before we let you go okay. um, what are your tips for encouraging people to take their security more seriously um, yeah uh, realise that you're not always the target you may be collateral damage in something else um they're not always after your data so when someone says to me oh why would i get hacked i'm i'm no one it's not you they're after it's your your system to to do crypto mining it's your system to do access to to other systems it's your systems that they're going to host uh you know terrible things like child pornography on so if you don't want to allow criminals to do what they're trying to do then you need to take your security more seriously yeah that's a really really great point like um yeah that's, it's, a, that's a mic oh, drop right there yourself. yeah that is a mic drop like that's <laughs> <laughs> Should we, should we just drop the mic? Should we just cut? <laughs> uh, we have we have the the the, uh, the penultimate final part, which is anything you would like to plug, which we ask every guest. Um, yeah. So so I've got two two big things coming up um, soon, actually, for us. One is I'm really lucky to be doing a special thing with Immersive Labs. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. That's happening on Thursday. Um, I'm going down to the Immersive Labs headquarters and sorting out some bits and pieces for them. So there's going to be a great collaboration thing coming up with them. Um, the second thing for me is uh, my wife Jess is giving a keynote at RSA um, in February, uh, which is phenomenal. Like I cannot impress on people how proud I am of her for getting that and getting asked to become a keynote for that. So they're the, they're my two massive things from this. So is that RSA in the states? RSA in the states will be will be flying into San Francisco. We'll be there a week, um, and yeah, and she she's given one of the keynotes. So it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Excellent. Good luck. Absolutely good luck to that. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, fantastic. Is there anyone you suggest that we should maybe get on FC that maybe have some interest in doing a podcast that you think would be interesting to, uh, as I said, uh, before we kind of got started, oh people like me at the beginning and, you know, people that are maybe a bit more experienced. I, I can't even begin to list all the people like just go go to my following list you know I, I try and curate it as as best I can but everyone on there obviously I have to say Jess um, <laughs> um, uh, Dave Mound who's uh, one of our employees would be Death's fantastic pirate. on here yeah Death Pirate shout out to him he is here today um, helping us out with some stuff um, yeah just you know if, if you want some like newer people as well um, yes. maybe George Chapman He's he's a really cool kid. Uh, knows his stuff. Um, yeah, I I'll give you a list after after the podcast of just people that you should definitely get on this podcast because it, it'll be going for like twenty years. Excellent. That that that'll be us sorted. <laughs> yeah. Twenty cast. Tw- tw- twenty more years of Ouija cast. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Ouija cast. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. My, no, and, thank you for uh, having me. With all new ventures. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Right, let's click stop recording now. Oh yeah, it's probably, probably say bye. Bye, uh, everyone. Yeah. Bye, everyone. <laughs> bye, everyone. <laughs>